Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. There is a Latin saying, carpe diem, and it means seize the day. Every day is an opportunity to look to Jesus, walk with Jesus, and give Him praise. The time is now. Seize the day. part one of Cheryl's message titled, Seize the Day. So my parents both took Latin in high school, which prompted me to take Latin in high school because my dad loved to throw out this phrase, carpe diem, and he would say it like it was a marching order. And that's because in Latin, it means seize the day. And isn't that so like my dad? Seize the day. But it means to make the most out of the opportunities before you, or don't miss this. Don't let this pass you by. Now, my mom loved to play the piano, and she loved to have me sing as she played the piano, and she'd be like, Cheryl, come in here. And she wanted me to learn one song especially, and it was Open Your Heart by Denise Abrams. And the lyrics went something like, he may not pass this way again. So open your heart and let him come in. Jesus will take all your sorrow and sin. And that thought, he may not pass this way again. Three times in Hebrews, Hebrews 3.7, Hebrews 3.15, and Hebrews 5.5, Tell us today, if you hear his voice, today is the day. All of us have regrets over lost opportunities. Maybe you put other things in in front of that opportunity. Maybe it was household duties. No, I want to go, but I really need to do the laundry. I really need to clean my house. I really need to do my spring cleaning. Or you had pressing obligations. I really want to go but I've got a dentist appointment, or I really want to go, but I promised this person that I'd go walking with them. Or maybe it was just inconvenient, and you put your convenience above that opportunity, or your own physical need. You're just, I want to go, but I'm so tired. I'm just too tired, or I'm too busy, or I'm too hungry. And in this way, you've missed some of the most significant moments of your life. When my father was recovering from his stroke, it was a beautiful day like today, and the mountains were just frosted with snow. And he had to take a walk every day, and I called him up, and I said, Dad, today is such a beautiful day for a walk. And he said, I know it, baby. Come walk with me. And I said, oh, Dad, I can't. You know, I've got this, and I've got that obligation. I didn't know that I'd never, ever get to walk with my dad again. 
I thought sometime, someplace, we'll walk and we'll look at those frosted mountains again. I had no idea how short the time was. Another time I used to take him dinner every Friday night. We'd have this meal together. And just about two weeks before he went home to see Jesus, I, you know, made the meal. And making the meal meant I took a whole bunch of my dishes over to his house in boxes. And I, I wanted to get those dishes clean because you know how food can kind of get stuck on the sides and then it's harder to get off. And I was kind of putting everything together to leave his house. And he looked at me and he said, oh, baby, just stay a little later. Dad, I'd really like to, but you know how the food sticks onto the side of the dishes and it makes such a mess? Looking back, I could have thrown those dishes away with all their little food particles. We all have those regrets, don't we? Those could have should have, would have, never did. There was a commercial in my time, which means a hundred years ago when television was first invented, where these people would hit their heads and go, I could have had a V8. As if people would choose vegetable juice over cookies. But it was a famous commercial and everyone would go around going, I could have had a V8. And it was just a silly saying. But the idea is today, as the Spirit speaks, as the Spirit gives us opportunity, it's the time. Today is the day to look for Jesus. Today is the day to invite Jesus into your house. Today is the day to invest the gifts that he has given you. Today is the day to give him whatever he has need of. Today is the day to shout his praises and declare him king. Today is the day to know that he is here and to receive the day of your visitation. And today is the day to allow him to cleanse our hearts. There's that saying, never put off for tomorrow what needs to be done today. Luke 19 presents us with a series of opportunities offered to those in Israel But in the same way, the Spirit of God is speaking to us, opening up these same opportunities to us. But we must carpe diem. We must seize the day. In Luke 19, 1 through 10, we meet Zacchaeus. And I don't know about you, but I used to sing this song all through Sunday school. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed his way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. And that's the story of Zacchaeus. He's the chief tax collector. And he's hated even more than other tax collectors because he is the chief. He's short in Stature and his wealth has come by extortion, deceit, and treachery. But he hears that Jesus was walking through town, and Jesus is. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem for the last time, where he will be arrested, condemned, crucified, and rise again. Now, Zacchaeus must have heard about Jesus. Maybe he heard the story of Bartimaeus, who was on the street in Jericho and heard that the Lord was passing by and began to shout out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And maybe Zacchaeus thought, wow, I want to see 
this man, this prophet, who has mercy on a blind man. Perhaps he heard about Jesus that he sat down and he ate with publicans and tax collectors and sinners. And this was his hope. If he could just see Jesus, the man who even received sinners and tax collectors. So Zacchaeus goes ahead of the crowd and climbs up a sycamore tree so he can get a good look at Jesus. But something unexpected happened to Zacchaeus because Jesus did not just pass his way. Zacchaeus was not just able to steal a glimpse of Jesus, but we're told by Luke that Jesus walked right up to that tree, looked up, and as the song goes, called him by name, Zacchaeus. That it wasn't just that Jesus received tax collectors. He knew this one by name. And he told Zacchaeus, not only do I know you by name, but I want an invitation to your house. I am going to your house. I must go to your house to dine, to become one with you symbolically. Now, the crowd reaction is not favorable because Zacchaeus is notoriously a sinner, someone who missed the mark. His disapproval rating is high. And the crowd looking at Jesus said, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Maybe they were personally cheated by Zacchaeus. You know, sometimes we can get in our heart and mind certain people we don't want saved. We really don't want them to hear the gospel because they've been naughty, like really naughty to us. And and this would be hard for the self-righteous to see Jesus actually going into this notorious sinner's house and forgiving him and restoring him. Aren't you blessed, though, that Jesus doesn't care about his approval ratings? He doesn't do what men want him to do, but he does what is right and what is good. Transformation takes place when Jesus enters Zacchaeus' house. There is repentance, there is relinquishment, and there is restoration. He gives back what he has taken by deceit, and returns fourfold what he has taken by extortion. This is evidence of Zacchaeus' salvation. And Jesus says, I've restored him. This is now, again, a son of Abraham. Think about it. Rome had stolen his identity, had stolen his nationality, had stolen his birthright by sin. But now the Son of Man, with his intention to seek and to save those who are lost, has gone after Zacchaeus and restored him. But Zacchaeus had to seize the day. What if he had figured on Jesus passing again? Well, he's been through Jericho before. Obviously, he likes this place and he travels this way from Galilee to Jerusalem. I'll catch him next time around, not knowing that this would be the last time Jesus would go through Jericho? What if he used excuses such as, I'm too hated. I really don't want to be around that multitude. I'm too short. I'm too busy cheating people. That would be a good one. 
I'm too unworthy. But he pushed all the excuses aside and he went to see Jesus. For some people, they just need to get an honest look at Jesus. Some people just need to look at Jesus. I have a a relative who is always telling us, I'm really open to Jesus, but she reads all the books against Jesus. Do you know people like that? It's like, could you kind of read some of these other books that will give you an honest look at Jesus? Because those who take an honest look at Jesus will find that Jesus knows your name and he wants an invitation into your house that he might bring you to repentance for the sake of restoration. That's our Jesus. But we must seize the day when the opportunity comes. We must seize the day in his word to get a good look at Jesus in his church, in his people, in praise, in prayers. When we do, we will find that he knows our name. He comes directly to us and he invites himself into our life. Now, moving on. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. Jesus tells a parable. And the parable's purpose is for those who think that Jesus right then is going to set up his kingdom on earth. This is the day that they've been waiting for, Jesus to set up his kingdom. And they don't realize that Jesus is going to go to his father where he will receive the greater kingdom and be crowned. It's that episode that we read in Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man comes before the Ancient of Days, and he receives the authority and the crown and the praise of heaven before he goes back to earth to be the king that topples every kingdom of this world. So because those that Jesus is with need to be prepared for what is about to come, he's going to give them instruction on what they are to do while he is in heaven receiving the authority of heaven. So Jesus tells a parable about a nobleman who is about to go into a far country to receive a crown, return in power to rule. And this nobleman calls 10 of his servants together and he gives each a mina, which is a coin worth three months wages. And he tells them, do business until I return. Then he leaves for an unspecified time. Any of this sound familiar? Can you relate it to the life of Jesus? When he leaves, the citizens that he left hate him. They send a hostile delegation to say to him, we will not have this man reign over us. But in the meantime, his servants are left to do business. Now, the nobleman returns, having received the kingdom, and he calls his servants to account. The first servant comes forward and says, master, your mina. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't say my mina, the mina you gave me, but your mina has gained 10. And he is commended, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now take authority over 10 cities. The second servant comes and he says, Lord, I've used your mina to gain five. And he has given five cities. Then another servant comes forward and he says, here's your little mina back. 
And the nobleman says, what happened? Well, I know that you're an austere man. And you, you reap where you have not sown. And I was afraid of you. So I wrapped it in this handkerchief and I buried it so that I could give it back to you intact when you came again. The nobleman is angry with his servant for not investing the mina. His excuse is really no excuse at all because if the servant was really afraid of the master and knew that he was austere, the very least he would have done is to have invested it in the bank. He wouldn't have hoarded it and buried it. He should have done something, anything with it. Then this servant is condemned. He's even called wicked for hiding and hoarding that which was entrusted to him. He is judged by his own mouth and his mina is taken away from him and given to the one who earned 10. Those watching this protest, wait, why are you giving that mina to the one who already has 10? And the nobleman answers, for I say to you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. After dealing with his own servants, the nobleman then deals with those who did not want him as king. Now, the apostle Peter talks about judgment beginning at the house of the Lord before it goes to the world. First Peter 4, 17. When Jesus returns, he will ask us what we did with what he has entrusted to us. You see, now is the time to invest what he has entrusted to us. We have an obligation to recognize the gifts that he has entrusted to us and to use them for his kingdom and glory. What are your gifts? Your gifts are your entrustments are his word. He's giving you the word. Are you, are you putting it in your heart? Are you investing it in your heart? Are you investing it in your children? My Aunt E.C., on every letter she ever sent me in college, and she sent me quite a few, one a week, it would say, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. There was not a letter she sent me that didn't contain that scripture. She implanted that word into my life. I have a woman in my life that uses um, phone texts. I still can't make it a verb, okay? Because it, when I grew up, it was just a noun. So I can't say texting because I wasn't in my Webster's Dictionary. But she sends me these texts with scriptures. And I thought, what an ingenious way to use a cell phone. Yes, cell phones can be used for the glory of God. Not Brian's, because it's used to ignore me. (laughs) But think about the things at our disposal that God has entrusted us with. His word, prayer, friends, money. Well, some of us, some of us not. House, energy, personality. Whatever your personality is. Some of you have been entrusted with a quiet, peaceful personality. Thank you. Thank God for you. That's an entrustment. Just your personality's entrustment. That's a gift from God. Children. Children are an entrustment. Talents. Whatever that is. Maybe it's cooking. Maybe it's cleaning. I had a friend past tense because she doesn't live close. 
but she had the gift of cleaning. She would show up at my house, just show up. I go, I'm here because God put it on my heart to clean your house. And I'd be like, come in, take over. Do all that God has placed on your heart. I remember one time she came over and she said, I'm here to clean your house. I said, oh, I'm going out with my parents. She goes, go. I came back. My floor has never sparkled like it did when she came over. One of my favorite people to invite into my house. But that was her gift. She would use it. She'd just show up at different people's houses and say, I want to clean your house. Some people would say, that's weird. Go away. And they didn't end up with a wondrously clean house. But that was a gift I never refused. And it was beautiful. But Romans 12, 6, the Apostle Paul says, we have differing gifts according to the grace given to us by God. Let us use our gifts. Tomorrow may not allow you to use your gift. You might not. I I used to have the gift of singing. Now I have the gift of croaking. It's kind of a use it or lose it. In fact, seriously, I'll go to hit notes or do a harmony that I used to, and I'll be like, and I'm like, oh, that was not pleasant. It wasn't pleasant to me, and obviously the people around me are kind of going, oh, poor Cheryl. Don't hide it, don't hoard it, but use what God has given you. And you'll find out when you step out in whatever gifts God has given you, he will add to it. Start with something small and watch God multiply it. Now, in Luke 19, 28 through 34, we see the opportunity to give to Jesus. I can't begin to enumerate to you how many times this little donkey has spoken to me, that this has been the word of the Lord to me. So here we are. Jesus is on the other side of the Mount of Olives. He's near a village, and he sends his disciples into that village and tells them exactly what they will find. You'll find a colt tethered to its mother. Lose the colt. You'll be asked, why are you doing this? Why are you loosing him? And this is what you're to answer. The Lord has need of it. The disciples go into the village and Luke tells us they find it exactly as Jesus said. As they obey these specific instructions, they find everything happens just as Jesus said. They find the colt. They start loosing it. They're asked, why are you loosing the colt? They answer, the Lord has need of it. And those who own the colt, let it go. Now, in our life, there will be loosings. Either you will be the one loosed. You might be loosed from a job, loosed from your security. As this cult was loosed from his security, his home, his people, his town, his mother, there might be loosings in your life because the Lord has need of you. We call them firings, removals. If you were in England, you would call it being made redundant. That doesn't mean you're going to just repeat yourself for the rest of your life. In England, that means you're fired. And we tend to look at them as the end, as rejection, as I'm no good, not realizing the Lord has need of you now or something being taken away from you. You might be the one who's loosing the cult. 
You might be the one saying, you know, I need help in this ministry. You might be the one saying, I have to let you go. You're fired. You might be the one giving the mission call or the the pastor. You might be the one being blamed for the loosing, but you're doing it because the Lord has need of it. Maybe you as a parent have had to loose your child. Maybe you've had to loose a prodigal that they might come to the end of, of their way. It might be glutted with the world that they might awake and come to their senses to Jesus Christ. What are your gifts? What has God entrusted to you? Think of the things at your disposal. We have an obligation to recognize the things that God has entrusted to us and to use them for His kingdom and for His glory. Trust God, step out in faith, and watch Him work. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at how to use our opportunities for the glory of God as we continue our Jesus Magnified study in the Gospel of Luke with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.